Well, today I want to talk to you out of my heart because we do live in challenging days, and I'm glad you guys are here today. I won't ignore you, though, but praying for you guys because the best is yet to be. Um, people today have a lot of questions about God. In this challenging hour where everything's mixed up, people are wondering, is God real? Does he really care? Can I know him? Well, those were the questions in my heart when I was 11 years old. And that was <clears throat> so many years ago. <clears throat> and the Bible says we can know him. In Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, If you look for me wholeheartedly, there's the key, you will find me. Not casually, not curiously, but wholeheartedly. And that's exactly where I was at the age of 11. In grade 5, this is my first Bible, a Gideon Bible, given to me in grade 5. And I've always kept it, and it's been worn out. But it's a treasure. And it has a story to tell. Grade 5, the announcement came. There's a special assembly for grade 5ers down at the auditorium. Not for any other grade but ours. And I thought, well, that sounds great. I get out of math, you know. So we marched down to the auditorium and sat in our chairs. And there were three or four men at the front and they introduced themselves as Gideons. And I didn't have a clue what a Gideon was. But I was sitting right up near the front. And one of the Gideons was a neighbor of mine. And I poked the kid next to me. That's my neighbor, Bill Bailey, the oil man. Well, they explained why they were there. And you have to remember now, kids, this is hard to believe. In the day I was in, how we started class was Bible reading and prayer. And Mrs. McCracken, looking back, she had to be a Christian. She had a blue Schofield Bible. And she would, you know, <clears throat> either put that there or up here. But she would read the word. And how she read it, looking back, it deposited faith in me. She read about, you know, Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah, about, you know, Joseph, the coat of many colors. Gideon, the fleece, and all of that. I didn't realize at the time, but just how she read it, it inspired me. And I was so excited. I had my own Bible. I came from a non-Christian family. And I was excited I had my own Bible. And two things that stood out, <clears throat> what the Gideons said that really spoke to me, was my neighbor. He said, now, you can sign your name in the front of the Bible. This is your Bible. And put your name and address in the front, which I did. And uh, April 16th, 1957. And uh, so he said, just put your name there. And uh, that'll be yours. 
But he also explained there's a, a place in the back. And it's the plan of salvation. And he said, never sign here unless you really know what you're doing. But if you read this book, you'll find Jesus. Well, I took up that challenge. And I started reading. It was King James. And to be honest, I didn't understand a thing I read. I always loved Shakespeare. Anyway, but <clears throat> anyway, so, but I, I had a hunger in my heart. And for several months, I read through the Bible. I always carried it here. And now I'm in grade six, and I'm still reading it. So this day, I was out in a field with my dog, Blackie, and I had a bow. I had bought a bow at the sports store, but my mother wouldn't let me buy an arrow. She thought that's too dangerous. So I used to use twigs off the tree. <laughs> anyway, you got to understand, I've been reading for several months, and I wondered, God, are you real? So for the first time, see, you woke him up. So, so for the first time, I spoke out loud in the field. And this is what I said. God, are you real? If you're real, you can hear me. I'd like to sign my name in the back of this Bible, but Bill Bailey said I can't do it unless I know it's okay with you. Now it's coming not off the top of my head. It's coming out of my heart. And I said, God, in order for me to know that it's okay for you, with you, for me to sign my name in the back, give me an arrow and something to kill. Take them out. No. <clears throat> so, from that point on, I looked through the dead grass in the field and I got onto the railway tracks. I was on my hands and knees and looking. And I went for, I guess, 20 minutes, which is a long time for a little kid. And uh, I was on a railway siding and I was just coming up to the main line, but I was at the siding here. And an inaudible voice said, this is in December now, he said, do you remember when you found out Santa Claus wasn't real? And I thought to myself, yeah. Same thing about Jesus. People like to pretend there's a God, but there isn't. Well, I got up. I brushed the cinders off my knees. And I felt totally dejected. I thought, what a fool I've been. I've been reading this for nine months. <laughs> and I'm out here wasting my afternoon. And I turned around, and I started to head back, dejected. And over here, on my right-hand side, was a stick in the dead grass. I walked over, pulled it out, and it was a real arrow with colored feathers and a sharp tip. And for the very first time, I felt the presence of God. I was shaking and weeping. And I was chattering. I didn't know about the baptism. I'll get on to that yet. Not today, but later. <clears throat> but I'll tell you, I, I felt the presence of God. And I was so excited, not just about the arrow, 
but that I felt the presence of God. And then this voice came, this inaudible voice, and said, God didn't put that arrow there. One of your friends went down to the sports store where you got the bow. They shot it and lost it. Now, 20 minutes ago, I spoke out loud, God, if you're real, give me an arrow and something to kill. <clears throat> so now I speak out loud for the second time. And I said, God, I'm thankful for this arrow. And I'm thankful for sensing your presence. But if this is really you, give me something to kill. So now I turn and I start down that railway siding, taking two ties at a time. I'm thinking I'm going to get a groundhog. I'm going to get a rabbit. And just as I was coming up where I initially stopped, over here on my left were two garter snakes. I shot my arrow, missed them, pulled out my hunting knife, missed them, picked up the stones, killed them. That was December 12th, 1957. 11 years old, never questioned God. I went once in a while to a church that wasn't Pentecostal, and you had two options when you sang. You could either lip sync, or you could do false soprano. Hallelujah. You know, because they never sang. And I didn't go that often. And because I came from a non-Christian, I came from a good home, but a non-Christian home. In my teen years, I drifted. You name it, I did it. So I'm probation when I was 13 for breaking entry. But I had a wake-up call when I was 18. I stole a car with some of my friends before. Now, I'm not living for God. I'm downtown Brampton, 18, Friday night, and I would do anything at the drop of a hat just because I like the challenge and the excitement. And my two friends, Bill and Gary, they said, Dave, we got a brand new Oldsmobile lined up. Come with us. And something said, I know now, it was God, don't go. And I would normally go at the drop of a hat, but I... Uh, I knew I wasn't to go. So I just passed it off. Now you guys go, I'll go another time. That night, there was a high-speed chase. The cops were after them. They were up by Terracotta. And if you ever go off Mississauga Road down to Terracotta, there's a real sharp bend. They didn't make it. They went flying out. And both of them were instantly killed. And I knew if I was there, I wouldn't be here. That was my wake-up call. I knew there was a God, but I didn't know how to find him. <clears throat> you live life looking forward, you understand it looking back. 18, that happened in around April. In June, I get a phone call from my neighbor, Bill Bailey, the oil man, the Gideon gave me this book. He said, Dave, <clears throat> would you like a job for the summer pumping gas? He owned a Texaco station. Changed the oil, checked the oil, wiped the windshield, pump gas. I started. 
So I would get up early, <clears throat> and Mr. Bailey and I would drive up, and we would open the plant. We're the first ones there, and we were the last ones to leave. As I got to know him, I told him what I just told you. Do you remember the time when? So he, prom he, <clears throat> he said, <clears throat> promise me you'll come to church with me on Sunday. And I said, okay. Saturday night, he's handing out the paychecks. And in his very discreetful way, while everybody was there, I'll see you for church tomorrow morning. And I said, okay. It was the Holy Roller Church, the ones we made fun of, Kennedy Road Tabernacle. So I had a suit on that didn't fit. My collar was tight. And you got to understand, I lived in the era of fawns, the fawns. I, I, it, was the day, it was the day I really did have hair. I had a duck tail with brill cream, and then I had two little dips at the front and a leather jacket. <clears throat> now, that's, that's what you got to remember. That's, I was in the fawns era. Brill cream, little dab will do you. Anyway, so here I am in a suit of all things. The sleeves were short. The collar was tight. I was feeling totally uptight. And as we went downtown to go up to the church, I slid down the back seat because I didn't not want any of my friends to see me. <laughs> and so we drive up to the church, and he comes to the side door. He says, see that door? Go there and wait for me. I'm going to go out and park the car in the parking lot and uh, wait for me, and I'll meet you there. I thought, okay. So I'm full of apprehension. You know, they roll on the floor, they swing on the chandeliers. and I was really uptight. But when I walked into that church and opened that door, deja vu, the same presence that I had out in the field when I was 11 was there took me totally off guard. It was like, welcome home. Whipped into the washroom, got myself composed together, and then Bill Bailey comes in and with his wife. <laughs> they were all right there. I, and we sat, there's a middle aisle, we sat right here, and I looked up to see the pastor. The first thing I noticed was these people really sing. You don't have to do lip sync. <laughs> I mean, they were singing. You could feel the praise and the presence of God. The pastor asked someone to pray, and after that, someone else and someone else. And on the way home, Bill Bailey said, Dave, why don't you come to our place for dinner today? Okay. And as we sat around the table, he said, I guess you're wondering about the tongues and interpretation this morning. I said, what? You know, the tongues and interpretation. The pastor had so-and-so pray and then sister so-and-so. And I said, oh, I didn't know. I just thought everybody you know, was praying and talking to God. And some Ukrainian lady had something to say. And, and after that, someone else had It didn't scare me off at all because I knew God was there. That was Sunday. Tuesday, he takes me to Brayside Camp. Never heard of the place. 
I want you to come with me. Now, I'm working for the guy, so I mean, you know. And so he says, uh, now we're going to knock off early, and I want to take you to Brayside Camp. It's Tuesday night. So I go. That night, long story short, I recommitted my life to Jesus Christ. I'm telling you this testimony for a reason. The Baileys took time to mentor me, to pray for me, because I had no Christian background. We've come home on a Friday night. Oh, Dave, we got Chinese food. Stay with us and have Chinese food. They take me to church. They get me introduced to other kids, because all my old friends, I went back and told them they're going to hell. And, uh, you know, I went back to the dance hall. I said, Scotty Brown, I'm not paying. I'm here to talk to my friends about Jesus. But what I'm saying is, the Baileys prayed for me. They invested in my life. They encouraged me, and because of that, I stayed on the way of the Lord. Six months later, I got the baptism under Lori Price at Old Evangel Temple, <laughs> and I still remember he had a couple of good quotes. The one was, when you get the baptism, it's like buying a pair of shoes, tongues come with it, and uh, that's true. It is. I'll, I'll do more on the Holy Spirit yet when I get back. <clears throat> but um, I received the baptism. Six months later, I was called into ministry. And it was because they invested in me. And the reason why I'm sharing this is because outwardly it looked like I would be totally disinterested in God. I had the leather jacket, the hairdo. I was a troublemaker. And it looked like, boy, that's an unlikely candidate. But only God knew what was going on in my heart. What I want to challenge you today is, not only God bless this church, but Lord bless this community. And how will that happen? How? Like God is, God is not willing that any would perish. And we might look on the outward with those that we work with, friends that we encounter on a regular basis, whether it's at the cashier, at, at the grocery store, or wherever we are. But there's people in each of our lives that we encounter and we might think they're not interested, but God looks on the heart. And so the verse of Scripture, I don't know if you have it up there, but I'll give it to you. This is Paul's counsel to us. We need to be intentional. And what I mean by that, intentional, is that we need to really become concerned for the eternal destiny 
of those that we encounter. Suppose you had the invention of how the cure to cure cancer. I mean, 100%, every type of cancer. You know, you, you would have how that can be cured. And you didn't tell anybody while millions are dying. Would that be loving? No. And say you had a gift that you've come across that could extend everybody's life another 50 years. Would you share that with them? Of course you would. Because we all want to live as long as we can. Well, I'm here to tell you, everyone here, we have a greater thing, eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. To remain silent is easy, but it's also unloving. So we need to become intentional and prayerfully say, God, who in my life, what friends, what casual friends are there, what relatives, what co-workers could I reach out to and share the good news with them? That'll only happen if we become intentional. Say, be intentional. That means really take the time to say, God, I want to be concerned and caring because we're all passing through. And if you're not intentional, you won't take the time. You won't even begin to pray. And you'll become hard-hearted and detached and say, God bless me, my wife, our kids, us four, no more. But God loves every person that you can see. We're all here for a reason. We all have baggage. We all have different challenges. But God wants to use each one of us to reach out to them in love. Now here's a verse of scripture. I want you to memorize it and pray about it. Be wise in the way you act with people who are not believers. Making the most of every opportunity. When you talk, you should always be kind and pleasant. So you will be able to answer everyone in the way you should. I want to use Paul's wise counsel to give us four ways for us to become intentional in reaching out to our co-workers. How many have unsaved relatives? My whole family was unsaved. But part of my call I had the privilege of leading them to the Lord. Three of them just weeks away from their passing on. 
I came from a different family. I left, led my mother first. <clears throat> she was concerned if I was getting into a cult because I gave up drinking anything but everything but smoking. <laughs> and that was a lot. <clears throat> anyway, and she thought, I think he's getting brainwashed, but no, I'm bloodwashed. And, and through a, a period of time, she started attending out of concern, but she ultimately became a committed Christian. My brother and father believed they'd been here five or six times, reincarnation. But they eventually came. And same with my sister, led them to the Lord. Part of my call, long story. But here are four things that we need to take to heart in reaching out to others. Number one, be wise in the way you act. If you are a follower of Christ, I guarantee you, you're being watched. People who are unbelievers are looking at your life. They're wondering how you live in this real world. When pressures come, are you abrasive? Are you irritable? By the way you live, do they see the values that you're building your life on? Do they see the difference? They're going to be watching you in the workplace, in your neighborhood. They're going to see if there's any difference because you're a follower of Christ. And how we act and how we live is a witness, either for the good or the bad. I've had opportunity to lead three of my neighbors to the Lord, lead them in a prayer. I don't preach at them. But my next door neighbor, I need what you have. I'll tell you, God will give the opportunity. But to be intentional, number one, be wise in the way you act. Remember, you're being watched. Not by big brother, but by people in your neighborhood. The second thing, make the most of every opportunity. There are opportunities that come our way every day. But if we're not intentional, we'll miss them. So we need to begin every day with this unconditional commitment and say, Lord, if there's anybody you want me to talk to today, I'm available. And if that becomes your prayer and you want to make the most of every day, of every opportunity, it won't be coincidence, but it'll be God-directed when somebody comes across your pathway that you haven't seen for a while. You might have something else on your agenda, but John comes by and you say, John, how are you doing? Oh, okay, but you could tell he's not okay. How are you really doing? I really mean it. And as they begin to open up, just listen to them and affirm them. Make the most of every opportunity. We walk twice a day, and we've met this beautiful Catholic lady. 
and we, she, I know she's a believer. But it was because of just being sensitive to. And then as time went on and we keep meeting, she'd say, would you pray for my daughter? She's going through a difficult pregnancy. Long story. All I know is there are opportunities coming our way. You'll miss it unless you're intentional. So be sensitive. Realize you carry. When you walk into Walmart, you're carrying the presence of God with you. He doesn't dwell in buildings. He dwells in us. And just be aware of his presence, and he'll give you a nudge. And when you see someone, you think, oh, i got to go and make this appointment. But Bill shows up. It might not be convenient, but make the most of it the other can look after itself. So be wise in the way you live the life, the way you act. Make the most of every opportunity. And the next one is, and this is so important, be always be kind and pleasant. Don't get preachy. You got to build trust. You got to build rapport. They might have a a view that's way out there. Don't try to correct it. Just love on them. And his love will never fail. So don't get preachy. Yeah, but I need to tell you, this is what you're going to hell. You know, That's what you throw a guy when he's drowning, an anchor. You know. We have to be kind and pleasant. You will never win anybody to the Lord by being abrasive and argumentative. You're, but you will win them by Christ's love. And it won't happen just in one encounter. It will happen as you build trust and respect and relationship. And when the chips are down, they'll know, I'm going to go see John because I know he'll pray for me so be kind see they won't read the Bible but they're going to read your life and they need to see Jesus and lastly the fourth way to be intentional is to be ready to answer everyone in a way that you should and what I mean by that is when you come across someone, say they have cancer or they have a, a health issue, let them pour out their heart to you. And if you can be kind to say, I'll be praying for you. Or if the opportunity is right, you can say, you know, I know God answered a prayer and he healed my daughter of this. Or they might be stressed out with finances and say, you know, I, I can think of a time when I was down to $22. Went to a garage sale. Without a word of lie, there was a $10 bill stuck on the guy's tire. I didn't know who he was, but it took the 10 
but you could tell how God has provided, how God has protected you, how God has answered, not in a preachy way, only if it opens up, but always be prepared. Be prepared. If someone were to ask you why you believe what you believe, you have a testimony, maybe not as dramatic as mine, but you can say enough to crack an interest and they'd want to know more. So what I'm saying today, in recent weeks and days, six of my colleagues have gone to be with the Lord. Makes me realize life is short. I know I wouldn't believe it if I was you either, but anyway, it is. It goes faster than what you think. James says it's like a vapor. It disappears. We cannot continue as a world the way things are going now. But the answer is Jesus, but not in a preachy way. Things are out of control, but God's in control. All I'm challenging you today, springtime, summer has come. People are be glad to get out of the house and walk down the street. Walk through your neighborhood. Wow, that's a lovely garden that you're planting there. Take interest. What, what kind of flower is that? Dandelion? Oh, didn't realize, you know. I mean, but take an interest. Build rapport. Be a good neighbor. And over a period of time, God will give you opportunity because they will sense the fragrance. Not religion. God's not interested in religion, rules, and regulations. He wants us to have a loving relationship. I'll preach more of that next week. But what I want to challenge you today is when you wake up Monday morning, Say, Lord, if there's anybody you want me to talk to today, I'm available. Be intentional. If you feel a nudge to write a, a note or send an email, friendly phone call, listen to those nudges because God loves that person. So, Lord, today, I pray that you will Lay someone on our heart that only I can reach. You will reach people I will never reach. <clears throat> but I know God is speaking to us today. There's a chorus. I don't know if you know it or not. I'll sing it a cappella. But it's a prayer. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart. Do you know that one? And love that soul through me. I know you wouldn't, but it's easy to learn. But it is a prayer. And I want us, as we sing it as a prayer, <clears throat> I want us to ask God to put someone, just one person, if all of us had one person placed upon our heart, and we would be intentional, make every effort, motivated by his love, to reach out to them, to love on them, don't preach at them. Build a relationship with them.
Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. And may I always do my part to win that soul for Thee. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. And may I always do my part to win that soul for Thee. That's our prayer, Lord. Bring someone to our attention. Not only today, but in the days of this coming week when we come across our path of someone we haven't seen, even though they might look disinterested, may we love on them, reach out to them in Jesus' name. And herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us. And Jesus said, this is the great commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love others as you love yourself. Go with us. Go before us. In Jesus' name, amen.